All right, it's Tuck Taylor. We're back again. This is episode seven of Beast Thinking Podcast. And as promised, the man, the myth, the legend himself is back, Chris McCain. Two weeks in a row, baby. Two weeks. I I, I would love this to be a habit of ours, to be able to knock these out We'll make it one. We'll make it one. Uh, Weird situation on this one. We were actually having a debate, good conversation about uh, kind of the stress response in athletes. Space, uh, especially since the Tom Izzo incident, if you guys are following March Madness, uh, what game was that, Coach? Uh, Michigan State. I don't even know who they were it's playing. Michigan State. Yeah, I don't know who they were playing either. Uh, but the memes and the social media went pretty crazy. Coach Izzo spazzed on one of his players. Uh, we really spaz didn't. Spaz puts it lightly. Spaz puts. Watch the video. Yes, very lightly. Me and Chris were debating on like what actually did happen for him to spaz, which does matter, but doesn't matter. We'll call and talk about that a little bit later too. But uh, you know, I posted on my Facebook page, and a lot of you guys responded. I was like, "Is this excessive? Yes or no?" I didn't really state my my stance. I just wanted to see everybody else's stance on that. And to my surprise, a lot of you uh, thought that was okay. And the first thing that I thought about was like, what if my boss came at me that way? Is that okay then? That's essentially what's happening. You have a person that's keeping someone accountable. Our bosses are managers. They keep us accountable. And what if my boss or manager came at me that aggressively? Is that okay for me? And the answer was no for me. And, and why is it different in sports? Why is that role now different in sports? Uh, so that was our big debate we were having. But what we're going to talk about first, though, is the actual stress response in athletes, mm-hmm. performance anxiety, stage fright. So, Chris, do you have any experience with uh, stage fright or performance anxiety as a public speaker? And Well, you know, I'd have to go back pretty far mm-hmm. to find a time where I, I had stage fright. But I think that's kind of evidence of what we talk about here, right? How do you overcome that? And really, the only way to overcome it is through experience. Uh, you know, as a, as a public speaker, the more you talk, the easier it becomes. The, the more fluent you are with what you're talking about, the easier it becomes. And if we take that same concept and we apply it to athletics, then the same, the same thing applies, right? The, the more you do something, the more you put yourself in a specific position, then the easier it becomes. So, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked extensively about is this idea of, of myelin, right? Building myelin and be- behaviors that are repetitive and this idea of muscle memory. And, and what's interesting, as you and I have researched and found and wrote about, is that this muscle memory isn't just about shooting a free throw, throwing a ball, kicking a ball, but it's about all kinds of behaviors, including the way we respond to specific events. And so it's your personality. It, yeah, for sure. It, that's that's what develops, right? I mean, nowadays, unfortunately, what we're seeing is a lot of myelin being built with scrolling and swiping and and wanting to be on phones a lot. But those those same neural pathways that are getting built, similarly, neural pathways get built for athletic abilities and for stress response in specific situations. So what's really interesting to me from from an athletic standpoint is. If you're an athlete and you train a lot, you get guys in here that train and physically they make significant changes to their body. They become faster. They can jump higher. Their agility gets better. 
but then they get out on a court and it doesn't necessarily translate. Right. And, and that's because even though their bodies are developing, even though their skills in a, in a training scenario might develop, they haven't built those neural pathways of how to react in those game situations. High pressure situations. Exactly, yes. right? It's yes. very different when you get onto the court and there's a, a clock and there's a score and there's a defender and there's all these opportunities where now the reactions are different and there's, quite frankly, there's consequences right. now, right? So e even if we, we look at some of the cognitive conditioning that, mm -hmm. that you do here at Beast, yes, that, that helps the brain begin to be able to react better but there's not the same consequence that you have when right. you're out on the floor, right? So those right. consequences add significant impact. Uh, so for me personally, I think one of the things for athletes that is significantly overlooked, and you and I have been in agreement with this, is just the ability to visualize, the ability to spend time putting yourself in those situations. Because otherwise, think about it, even if you went and played pickup ball or, or you were playing games in travel ball and you played a hundred games, out of those hundred games, how many times are you gonna be the guy at the free throw line with 10 seconds to go down one shooting a one and one? Right. It, it won't be that often in right. those hundred games. So how do you find ways to put yourself into situations where you can begin to build those neural pathways and teach your body how to fight those physiological responses that you, you want to have, right? The butterflies in the stomach, the sweating, the dry mouth. I mean, those are just physiological responses 100%. to some external stimuli. In this case, you're in a game. A and perceived threat. A perceived, exactly. That's the key word is perceived, right? Because it's right. not a real threat. Right. Uh, you know, I'm always taken back to uh, uh, Brandon Bouchard's book that you turned me on to, mm -hmm. The Motivation Manifesto. Yes. Where he said, yes. you know, fear was given to us as a means of protecting against physical harm and death. Mm -hmm. And that we as humans are the ones who have perverted into a tool for the ego's own protection. Right. So it's, it's so, I mean, look, right. it, it might be a bit deep, right? Right. For, for this, but basically, it's so but, true. But basically what that is, if I interrupt a little bit, is basically we have this adaptive trait called the stress response that has now become maladaptive. Where it used to be very beneficial for us when we were primitive to help run from threats and fight, fight, or fight or freeze from threats now causes us to it goes off when there's no real threat. Yeah, it's a, and it's there's a no danger. Thing, right? There's no danger involved. Right. And and that, yeah. that I like what I like about his quote too is that he puts the word ego in there because mm -hmm. that's really what it is, mm -hmm. right? It's this fear. You know, I'm at the free throw line. This fear of missing and looking bad to my teammates, to my family, to my friends, to all the people that are watching, right? I'm the guy who missed the shot. When the reality is those failures are the things that make us better, right? But that's, that's really hard to grasp that idea, right? Yes. It's hard to come out of a loss and be like, oh, well, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to get better. So, you know, the idea of this, this post-traumatic stress in athletes uh, and how they overcome it, th there's only a couple ways, right? right? And that is build scenarios where you can add pressure. So that, you know, even if it's not as much pressure that you're still learning and, how and to respond. In the cognitive conditioning field, we call that cognitive load. Yep, cognitive like load. You're, you're adding weight to the brain. Yeah, so, you know, put yourself in those little positions. Right. You know, for a basketball player, at the end of practice, force yourself to have to make 10 shots in a row. Look, the first one, two, three, four, five, mm -hmm. hey, yeah, I'm good. And you hit six and you will, something in your body says, okay, I'm at six, oh, and, and you get this little feeling. And then you hit seven and that right. feeling amplifies and you hit eight. When you get to that 
ninth one, that feeling is a hundred times what it was at six. Right. And now you're on that tenth. You know, how do you handle that? Mm -hmm. and, and as small as that might be in comparison to a game, it's still one of those situations where you're training your body how to handle those physiological responses yes. to that perceived threat of, yes. oh my God, I'm going to miss and I'm going to have to start all over again. Yes. You know? and, and then again, the other way is just visualization. You yeah. know? And I, I read uh, the, the book Relentless right, yes. by Tim Grover and it, Jordan's trainer. Yeah. And, and so much of what I took from that book was just how willing Jordan was to spend time visualizing. Yes. I mean, to the nth degree, he would take it and, and, and visualize an entire game mm -hmm. and the moves he would make and then it comes to the end of that game. So he had an opportunity to, to visualize himself in those game-winning situations, you know, n number of times more than he yes. was actually in those situations, yes. which, which helped, you know. Yes. So, you know, a couple of things you said that sprung up some just good, just great talking points, too, is when we talk about perceived threat, perceived threat. And so part of our uh, brain engineering definition is manipulating the physical brain through deliberate thought to change one's perception of reality. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about cognitive appraisal of the moment, uh, mature athletes are able to be okay with being in that we're down by one with the ball three seconds ago. It's okay for them. This is the, this is what they do. Mm -hmm. And now what they've shown too is when now I no longer perceive this potential stressor as uh, a threat to myself, my well-being, or my ego, and I now see it as a challenge, it looks differently chemically in my body. Oh, you, for sure. You won't elicit the stress response. Yeah, yeah. They say what actually happens is, is that your adrenal glands pump out DHEA, which is a chemical that helps you problem solve. Mm -hmm. And so the more DHEA that is found in the prefrontal cortex has been equated to one's ability to be able to find effective solutions to a problem. So essentially, instead of thinking about the problem, you think about the solution. Mm -hmm. So again, that's the, they call it the warrior versus warrior uh, philosophy. So warrior, a person that's worrying about what's going to happen, they're thinking about the problem. But the warrior sees the challenge and is mm -hmm. like, this is how I'm going to defeat right. this. So warrior, right? Warrior, yeah. Warrior. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting you bring that up because recently I, I watched a movie called Free Solo mm -hmm. uh, about this guy as a climber. Yes. And, he, you know, he made this ascent with no ropes. And so we think about this perception right mm -hmm. of fear i mean this guy had a real it, it wasn't a perception it's it danger. was real right he's in you danger know, right yeah. but uh they they did an mri on his brain and one of the things that came back was like look you don't respond to stress the way other people do right so we can train right we can train ourselves right to not have to respond to a stress, even a stress as significant as dying. Right. And we can, we can train ourselves so that we can just take it as a challenge, you know? And, and, and when you watch this movie and you see this guy maneuver through cracks and, and holding himself by a thumb and a finger and things mm -hmm. like that, it just, it amazes you. But, you know, as a psychologist, I look at it like, my God, this guy's brain would be a phenomenal experiment right, in right. this because uh, you know a lot of people think oh you know uh, how do I do it how can I I mean you look at situations like that or examples like that and you realize we really can't right. right we can put ourselves in a position we can train ourselves to have the response we want to these perceived fears if we can do it to the to the real fears that are out there as well 100% and I think the two things that we're talking about really work together because you're talking about visualization so the more that I visualize, the more that I'm able to actually be present with this challenge, 
I'm now training the body to now elicit the DHEA response right. instead of the stress response. Mm-hmm. And so now when I actually experience that actual situation in my reality, my body's already been there before. It knows that, hey, Tuck, challenge, not threat. Yeah. Think about this. Yeah. How, what's the solution? Not... Yeah. This is a threat. Now the stress response goes on. Now I'm very hypervigilant. And then the whole, all the number of things that happen physiologically with your body start to happen. So uh, another big piece of advice I would give any athletes that are having any anxiety while you're playing is once you do feel yourself going through that stress response, now what? That's the question. All right. So. I wasn't able to think of this as, as a challenge. I thought of it as a threat, and now I'm feeling the symptoms of a stress response. What, what to do next? And uh, what a lot of the literature says is don't try to stop it because the more intrinsic you get with your thinking, the more you're going to keep the refractory period of that stress response longer, keep on going. Uh, research shows anywhere between 60 and 90 seconds is supposed to last. So as soon as you get that rush of adrenaline, you almost get in a car today and you miss 60 to 90 seconds for your body to go back to that homeostasis. If you're able to perceive it as over, it's done. Mm-hmm. But if you're a person that has road rage, that, that almost happens, somebody cuts you off, now you keep it going. So now that 60 to second bout of yeah, stress you're fuel, response, you're, fueling it. you're now yeah. fueling it with more thoughts, yeah. right? And so you can't fuel, you can't add the, the wood to the fire when it comes to the stress right. response. You have to just let it burn out. Right. And then, uh, so... So what do you think about the, the, the research and the, and the folks who would say, in situations like that, you, you focus on your breath, right? Yes. Breathe through it. Um, so I think what you're saying is don't purposely go out and fight it by right. thinking about it more right right let it run its course yes. through naturally letting go of it right yes. so you focus on the breath by focusing on the breath you're not focusing on the perceived threat right at which point 60 to 90 seconds of that focusing on breath and you kind of expel it from your system as right. opposed to amplify it with continuing to think about that outcome right because think about it too it's all the message you're sending to your body so if there's a pers- actual threat in my environment. Am I going to focus on my breathing? So, no. So, you're going to be focused on your environment. You're going to be very outwardly focused. And so, I think once you are, that's the signal, that's the switch you hit to the brain, tell the body, is like, hey, there's no threat in my environment because I can actually focus on something intrinsic. Sure. My, my, my breathing. Right. And this is where practicing that can right. actually teach the body that says, hey, there's this external stimulus mm-hmm. that's causing elevated heart rate, dryness in my mouth, mm-hmm. and you've trained your body to say, all right, I'm going to focus on my breath. Yes. Those symptoms go away. Yeah. You're able to perform. And now it doesn't matter you know, whether you you're playing you in front of 100 or 10,000 or a million people. You you're, can be you. Yeah, you're able to, to play my- the way you expect. My heart goes out to the kids that can't, and the athletes out there too, that, that work their tail off in the skills and drills realm. They, they work out every single day, but they just can't put it together in the mm-hmm. game. And nine times out of 10, it's their brain. It's the stress yeah. response. There's something mentally happening there, because you know you can do it, but yeah. why can't you do it when it matters the most? Yeah, well, look, I, I mean, I think I know the answer to that one. It's hard. It is. Right? Because going out there and and doing skills and drills and doing all these kind of things, 
kids see that as, oh yeah, this mm-hmm. is this is what I do, this is what I do. But when you really want to take it to the next level, it goes beyond skills and drills. Right? And this is this is probably another podcast yes. for another day. But yes. the reality is yes. if you expect to succeed at the highest levels, if you expect to be that person who delivers in the crunch time, it's not about skills and drills. Mm-hmm. Because those are the people who have done more than skills and drills. Yes. Those are the people who have done those extra things to train their body. Uh, or, you know, they're, they're brain works well, that way they, there's a the deep visualizers yeah, like visualization absolutely. itself is yeah. a skill yeah think about how this say if you sit down right now and try to visualize a scenario like legit most people can't see it clear that's the thing like visualization you get to see it clear your your brain has to think that this is actually happening in reality yeah so it can send that signal to the body yeah. to respond as if it's happening but that's what's interesting is that even visualizations can create neural pathways yes it, it may not yes. be as strong as a repetitive behavior right but doing so does start to build neural pathways. that's the Chicago study yes yes yeah. Chicago's University of Chicago they yeah. did a study on the free throw shooters. yeah and I actually I actually shared this experience with you that I had one time when I was just doing a, a meditation mm-hmm. where I, I in my brain I started thinking about lifting my legs, yes. right? Lifting my legs off the ground. You know, we've all had that feeling where you lay on your back and you lift your legs off the ground and your stomach starts to tighten, mm-hmm. right? And after a time, it'll start shaking. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you don't have super strong abs, that's what happens relatively quickly. Right. And so for me, I was in this situation where I was, I was getting into this deep meditative state. I'd been focusing on my breathing and then I started just thinking, not doing it, fighting it physically, but thinking about lifting my mm-hmm. legs. And my legs were still on the ground, but my stomach started tensing, right? So if my brain was going through this, hey, your legs are lifting, your legs are lifting, my stomach is tightening, my legs are still on the ground, but for, you know, for the physical reaction that I was having, I would have thought that my legs were off the ground, right? So those neural pathways just from visualization can be very strong. And that, that's proof in itself that the brain does not know the difference. And you, and you can look, I mean, that's something anybody can try, right? right, If you don't believe it, go lay down, right? And and, and focus on your breath and think about it. Fight to, you know, don't lift your legs, but think about it really hard. And when you start to feel that stomach tighten, you'll Mm -hmm. realize that your brain is causing something that's not actually happening right in, in a reality another another good one you'll realize in common practice is when someone's telling a story about someone they don't like or argument they got into and you can see them almost take themselves back to the actual argument you see them actually going through the stress yeah. response again as you if, see the emotion in their yes. face right yes so the bodies going, having that response again. yeah 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 that they're, physiological they're, response they're thinking even though it's not it. even happening now right? right it happened before but they're they're going back to that spot and yeah. the same thing is coming out yeah that's, that's how that's how so trauma true. happens that's yeah, the, that's so the etymology of trauma you keep on re-traumatizing yeah. yourself again over and over yeah. and over again so but, so let's let's use that to segue into a little bit about this this Tom Izzo situation, right? So yes. um, I, I think the the catalyst for this whole situation was uh, a lack of effort on the player's part. Yes, that's right? what it seemed to be. Yes. That's what it's, uh, it yes. wasn't like there was a specific play. He didn't, he right. didn't have a turnover. Right. He didn't miss a bad shot, take right. a bad shot or something like that. It just seemed to be a lack of effort. And, mm-hmm. and if I'm wrong, I'm, you know, that's fine. But, right. I, I, you know, it's just about the conversation. So lack of effort. Izzo goes running at the kid, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and puts his I think he puts his hand on his jersey or something. I don't mm-hmm. think he tugs hard or anything. But you could right. see the emotion in his face was just extreme anger, yes. right? 
And so, you know... It had to be restrained. And, yeah, I mean, even when it, you said it, too. Yeah. One of the other players stepped in and was, like, trying to calm Izzo down, right? right. So there's a couple things that I, that I noticed about that. Number one, uh, you know, the player that was trying to calm it down, it was very much like a family thing that was happening, yeah, 100%. right? 100%. So, so, you know, you mentioned, would it be okay if my boss did this? And my first thought with that is, well, I don't know that a boss has the same relationship that a player coach might have. Because mm -hmm. a player coach can oftentimes very much be like a father-son relationship, yes. right? Yes. And so when 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 you watch your son, look, when I watch my son, mm -hmm. you know, I've had to train myself uh -huh. not to have yeah, a oh, significant man. emotional response. Because trust me, I did. Uh -huh. I mean, especially when I coached him, I had very strong really? emotional responses. Hey, we either start writing that book now. You so know, I'm ready for Teddy. Because, man. Yeah, it was <laughs> it, it was just one of these things where you know you have this this set of expectations to somebody that you love mm -hmm. dearly and you know what their potential 100%. is, right? But you have to train yourself to realize these are kids, right? Right. So I think what's interesting about the Izzo situation is, look, people are saying it. Kids should be held accountable, right? What he did was not excessive, blah, blah, blah. To me, the way he handled it was excessive in the context of would, would, my would it be okay if my boss did this, right? right. Um, I do believe the kids should be held accountable. Uh, I, I think that Izzo could have handled it a little better. Mm -hmm. um, but, the, you know, the other thing is we have to realize for a, a kid, this was a freshman too, right? right? I believe. Right. Let me ask you this. What would be the, the better way for Izzo to express the sense of urgency or the criticality of this situation? You know, look, they won by 20, right? So I don't right. know that it was that. I don't right. remember where in the game it was. But let's say it is a tight game, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say it's a two-point game. Um, you, you really don't want to just yank this kid from the game, right? Because right. he doesn't have an opportunity to be in this position where, as we just talked about, helps him build as, a, as an athlete, right? So how, how, did, how should he handle this as a coach but still convey how important it is that that effort be? Now, and we and we had this debate a little bit before. Like, I'm not sure if Tom Izzo's really that guy all the time either. Like, there are some guys that are notorious for being like that, like yeah. uh, Frank Martin and uh, Huggins, oh, Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight. Like, <laughs> I mean, this nobody. Is, you can this think of anybody is their but reputation. Bobby so I'm yeah. not sure if Tom Izzo's that guy. So this could have been a thing that he. It was very calculated in a sense of, like you said, this is a this. This kid needs a growth moment to really understand the magnitude of what's going to happen. But was that the best way to have him remember what he did was wrong? Like, is, is this operant conditioning? Is he trying to, like, to me, though, if, it, if it's, if it's going to relate back to trauma or relate back to threat, a perceived threat, like, you're listening to stress response on the kid. If you're yeah. charging at a kid, pointing your finger, super aggressive, and you saw the kid immediately succumb. His yeah. shoulders folded forward. He was like, my bad, my bad. Yeah. And Tom Izzo kept going and kept going and kept going. It was like, all right, you're not, to me, you're beating a dead horse now. You've yeah, made your point. Yeah, at that point you are, yeah. You've made your point. And yeah. when so people maybe, have to maybe start what doing, it is is Izzo, Izzo took it too long. Yeah. Right? If the kid would have been confrontational back to him. That's why, as I said, it was excessive. Okay. Was it, was it right for him to come at that way? That's, that's on their relationship. Right. But excessive. Did it exceed what it, it needed to be? It went too long, right? It went too long. Once, once the kid embraced the fact that, okay, yes. what I did was wrong, right? I accept accountability for my mistake. Mm -hmm. At that point, you know, it didn't have to go on any further. Right. Maybe that's why if you look back at it and you see the other players step in, 
the other player was like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Enough is enough. He's not arguing with you. Right. Right? He understands. Yeah. And I think we both agree, you know, in situations like let's say it was a turnover. Let's say it was a bad shot. If a coach pulls a player immediately, right? Make a mistake, pull a player. Uh To me, that's where you really start to create these stress induce factors that now yes. impact the player in the negative way. Right. right. If I make a mistake, I I don't play anymore. Right. Now you're you're adding the cognitive lo- more cognitive load to the situation as a coach. Yeah. And that's a, that's for an upcoming clinic that I want to have later on this year. I've got a lot of the stuff ready for it, but I really want to talk to coaches and see what their thoughts are on this, create the conversation, but also provide with them some tactical ways that they can now start to rethink about coaching based around the stress response. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's my goal here? Is my goal to uh, recklessly express my anger or is my goal to get this point through to this kid? If right. your goal is the latter, there are ways that you can do that without being extremely demonstrative yeah. and being, you know, because I, I know plenty of guys that had coaches like that and they don't rock with these guys anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not going back and saying, what's up, coach, and yeah. how's your life? It's because that, when that uh, stress response is there, now you're, you're literally making me afraid of you, whether right. I want to admit it or not. Mm-hmm. Like, the, my body is not going to respond to you a certain way because it's going to remember that what you did to me. Right. So when I see you now, it's going to be, primed and ready for that stress response to hit. Mm -hmm. So is there a better way to build that bond and get that information through other than being extremely demonstrative? I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Well, I think it's important that coaches communicate with their students in a way that says, look, this is is how things are going to be, right? This is how I'm going to hold you accountable. And it's not... It's not that I don't love you as a coach. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't want to see the best in you. But as a coach, I will get emotional, right? right. But I think coaches need to to be able to, like we said before, control those stress states. 100%. Right? And coaches need to go into games, practices, thinking, okay, mistakes are okay. And I want my kids to understand they're okay because I don't want to induce any additional stress. I mean, right. athletics are tough enough right. to think that you got to go out and play on eggshells right. because if you make a mistake or break an egg that you're going to be coming th- out of the now game. Now you're thinking too much. Yeah, and now you don't get to just go kind of play freely. You can't get into that flow right? state. So, so as a coach, you know, being a coach myself and a dad, it's very tough to juggle that, mm-hmm. but it's, it's possible, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the more you educate and then engineer a solution, Mm -hmm. you become empowered as that coach to be able to create that best environment for your players. Because let's be real, a lot of coaches don't do that. It's been very successful. So it's not like you have to be that way to be successful or you have to be that way to convey a message because there are guys that don't do that that are just as successful. Right. You know? So, no, I, I, I love the... Uh, bringing back the educate and engineer and empower because it, it goes for coaching too. You know, uh, the the title of Beast Thinking, the it's an acronym for Brain Engineering for Athletes, Students, and Teachers. Yeah. Teachers being coaches too. So we all coaches, parents. I mean, hey, look, anybody who impacts a kid's life in some way is is teaching something, right? Or has to hold someone accountable. Yeah. Like a boss. Like, yeah. what's going to be the best way to get your best out of your employees, your students, your kids, your team? Yeah. And still maintain a good, solid relationship and and make a difference at the end of the day. Yeah. Be one of those people that they're going to come back to and say, hey, what's up, uh, Mrs. Johnson? I'm coming yeah. back and I'm a successful doctor now. I just want to come back and thank you for being, yeah. that, being there for me. 
You yeah, know? I, the, you know, the, I think the last thing we can touch on here is there, there are folks who, who look at today's generation and say, oh, they're soft, they're soft, they're soft. And I, I look, I definitely think you can look at this college uh, admission scandal, right, mm-hmm. where parents are paying for the kids to get into college. Yeah, those things happen, mm-hmm. right? But when you look at a situation where you sit down with a kid and you teach them about growth mindset and you teach them about making mistakes and you do it in a way that's non-confrontational and you do it in a way that's not emotional, that's not soft, mm-hmm. right? That's education. Right. Uh, you know, and look, Izzo went out in the opposite of soft. But I thought that kid, the way he responded, was actually fantastic. Very, very I wouldn't tough. call that kid soft. Oh no, not at all. I would, I would imagine that kid has a very, very strong growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Right, the way he reacted to that. So I think there is an element of soft that comes from a sense of entitlement. But I don't think that's from kids. I think that's from parents. One hundred percent. Who don't understand how to create environments that allow their child to fail, right. and then be okay with it, right? Right? right, that's the problem. That's where right. the softness 100. comes in, right? Oh, man. This whole college admissions thing—that's yes. a softness. Yes. But holding kids accountable in a way that educates them, and then allowing them to fail and engineer their environments—that's yep. not soft. No. That's a smart way to, to raise kids. That's a smart way to coach. It's a smart way to, you know, to teach. Right. No, one hundred percent. And like you said, the the less. When you when you do anything to add that stress response to your athlete, to your employee, you, you become their enemy now. Yeah. You become their enemy where you really that's your teammate. You're you need them right. to come through for you. And, and I think it's important that we're clear. It doesn't mean you'll never be angry with them. Right. It doesn't mean that you won't be emotional right. with them. Right. You're human. But, but you have to have communications and say these things are okay mm-hmm. and they're part of our relationship. Right. It's okay if you and I disagree on something. Right. As long as we are both able to move forward with 100%. it, right? As 100%. long as it's not something that's going to linger, as right. long as we're both going to grow from it, that's fine, right? right. I, I, I was listening to a, a podcast just a couple of days ago, and they were talking about, look, it's you know, relationships don't grow because they're always great. Mm-hmm. Relationships grow when there's friction, right? right? I mean, that's how everything gets better. Is friction. You don't build 100%. muscle by lifting lighter and lighter and lighter. You build muscle by stress, stress right. right? So right. stressful things are not necessarily bad. Right. We just need to be able to communicate how we handle them. Right. And we need to be able to learn how to handle them as long as we don't let the stressful situation dictate, mm-hmm. right? We learn to dictate the stressful situation, right. not vice versa. Yes. I you know, couldn't say it better myself. It's, it's managing stress, I think, is... The big thing here, and it's managing it in your athletes, managing it in yourself yep. to make sure that, oh, you know. That. Ironically, my Apple Watch just told me to breathe. So. Breathe. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, must, it must be listening to yes. our conversation. Yes. Artificial intelligence and machine learning is alive, folks. Yes, <laughs> yes folks. So uh, we hope you got a lot out of this episode here. If you guys have any questions uh, about the stress response or coaching tips that we can give you, please hit us up in the comments. Make sure you subscribe to Beast Thinking Podcast on iTunes, Spotify. Instagram, Instagram, Beast Thinking. Beast Thinking's on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. Book will be out soon. Yeah, it's in editing, so coming, it's, out of, it's out of our hands. We really Coming soon. That's where you're going to get that coming soon. So uh, it's, it's a game changer. Uh, until then, we'll be providing you with lots of content that's going to help you engineer your brain for success. Chris, any final thoughts, final nope. comments? That's it, man. Two taps, we're out. We're Two out of here. Two taps, we're out. We're out of here.